Okay. Uh, we are continuing along our, our study in the book of Ephesians. If anyone's visiting, we are, we're, uh, we're on about a 12-year plan to get through the book of Ephesians. And uh, that might be an understatement. Uh, we're in Ephesians 1, and uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 8 and 9 today. Um, I, uh, I want to just start by emphasizing... Again, that uh, Paul never preached from Ephesians. I know that that sounds weird, but uh, Ephesians was a letter that came out of Paul's view of the truth as it is in Christ. So, you know, as we study this book, it's not really our goal that we understand the book of Ephesians. Don't, Don't misunderstand what I'm saying there, but... That's really not our goal. Our goal is to see by the Spirit what Paul saw, what became a reality to Paul, and then he wrote. And, and, and there's such a huge difference. Our goal is to comprehend with spiritual wisdom and understanding the realities that are, that are uh, herein being described so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. That's the goal. The goal, the goal is always, as it says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says to, to become the fragrance of Christ unto God. A fragrance that is unto some death and unto some life. But unto God it is the fragrance of His Son. That's the goal. The goal is not to understand a book of the Bible. The, again, I'll just say it again. I like saying it. Uh, I like hearing myself say it. The goal is to see the reality that Paul saw. Not to learn the theology that Paul wrote. The goal is to have that reality be the reality of your soul. To live in it. To live by it. To become the expression of it. So important that we understand that. We're not trying to, to figure out a book of the Bible. We're trying to come to faith. Which is what... you know, We're trying to come to the mind of the Lord. So that we can live in the truth. Jesus says, if you abide in My Word... You will know the truth. The truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from you. Free from everything of the man that fell short of the glory of God. So that our very souls become the evidencing of the truth as it is in Christ. That's what faith does. See, faith, I know, you know, I'm just not going to, I'm going to stop saying that, apologizing for repeating myself. But, you know, faith is not something you believe in. Faith is the mind of the Lord working in you. Faith then becomes the evidencing of that which is unseen. It becomes the substance, the substantiating, the substance of that which was hoped for. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith makes manifest Him who is your life. Through His mind working in His body. I say, I say all this only because sometimes I fear that in studying a book like this verse by verse, I get this little fear kind of twinge that comes over me as I, as I go through a book like this that, that we're going to walk away with facts and not truth. And if, if I thought that were the case, I just, I honestly, we would just stop. So, you can, you can come away with a correct natural understanding of spiritual things and with no spiritual understanding whatsoever. Spiritual understanding is not you with your natural mind understanding spiritual things. Spiritual understanding is the understanding of the Spirit being wrought in your heart. 
And you live then by faith. You walk by faith and not by sight. Sight sees an old creation. Faith sees a new creation in Christ and lives there, abides there. Growing up is growing up in faith, growing up in the knowledge of God, growing up in spiritual understanding. So we can put these little verses as we go through them into our little compartments of theology and understanding and doctrine and we still have nothing of the mind working, working in us. And that's always my, con- my concern. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, Galatians, whatever book you want to talk about. He wrote the book out of the Spirit's understanding working in him. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The literal translation says. So we need to learn not the words and the doctrines of it, but we must come to have the same understanding, the same reality revealed by the Spirit of God working in us. We have to come to God's view. We have to come to the faith of the Son of God. We have to come to the mind of Christ. Whatever verse you want to throw in there. All speaks of the same reality. We must come to God's view or we have come to nothing. I know I say that kind of strongly. I couldn't, I couldn't mean it any stronger than I, than I know how to say it. So I, uh, Anyway, we, we finished last week with Ephesians uh, 1, seven. We were talking about redemption and forgiveness of sins. We are talking about the redemption that is in Him, that God redeemed a son and those who are in a son. Uh, and I won't go back into that. We, we, we could have uh, gone on last week and just finished up with Ephesians 1.8 because it just kind of completes the thought of what he was saying there in Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. Uh, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And then verse 8 goes on to say, which He made to abound in us in all wisdom and prudence. And I won't say a whole lot about grace this morning. Uh, because we spent the first two weeks of our study of Ephesians just looking at that one word, grace, and uh, you know, and, and so I don't want to I don't want to uh, repeat myself so so soon. But suffice to say that grace, grace, is a reality whereby we bear His death and are found in His life. It is a it is a reality of living in and by the life of another. That is where grace abounds to us in Him. In Christ, grace abounds. It says a similar thing in Romans 5, where, uh, where sin did abound, grace did abound all the more. And this is the great gift of God in Christ. Grace abounding towards you in all wisdom and prudence. And that's verse 8. But what I really want to spend our attention on today is actually the next verse, verse 9. And uh, it's where it reads this. It says, Having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. And then he goes on to describe something more of that mystery in the next verse. But I really want to just focus in this morning on the mystery of God. This, this reality. I want to... Uh, Look at what, what is the mystery, what was the mystery, why was it a mystery, in other words, how, how was it hidden, what made it a mystery. And then I want to I look at how is the mystery revealed, and, uh, and that's probably going to fill our plate today, uh, I, would, I would guess. So I just want to start with the word mystery. What, what, uh, biblically speaking, what's a mystery? A mystery is not uh, like a puzzle or a riddle that you need to figure out. Mystery isn't something that, biblically speaking here, isn't something that you solve or piece together like a detective novel. Biblically speaking, a mystery is simply something hidden that must be revealed. 
there's a Bible scholar, a guy named uh, David Chilton, that says, I liked his definition of the word mystery. I just happened to be reading him this week. And, 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 um, and he said, this is a quote from his, one of his books, a very cursory study of the New Testament, uh, of the New Testament use of the word mystery shows that it does not there carry its usual modern sense of the word puzzle. It is indeed something hidden, but not in such a way that you can follow a series of clues and eventually find it out. Rather, it is a truth which you either know or do not know, depending on whether or not it has been revealed to you. I like that definition. The mystery of God that is, that is referred to in the New Testament is simply His eternal purpose for which He created all things. That mystery was hidden in God before the foundation of the world. Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 9 says, the mystery having been hidden from eternity in God. That mystery was demonstrated, however, uh, though not comprehended, but demonstrated through creation, natural creation, and also through God's dealing with Old Covenant Israel. There is where it is hidden. And that mystery has been revealed in the person of Christ. We're going to break that down and look at it more. I'm just kind of summarizing here. I want to just start, though, by... Uh, by demonstrating from Scripture that the mystery of God is no longer hidden. It still may remain to you and I a mystery. Uh, but if that is the case, it's only, because, only the case because we have not seen the reality of it as it is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because I've heard a lot of, I've been under a lot of teaching, I've heard a lot of teaching with regard to the mystery of God as though it is still a mystery as though it is something that God has not yet disclosed or something that you will come to know when you die or something that God will unleash during some future event or some future outpouring of this or that. That, uh, Frankly, that is nonsense and completely contradictory to everything the New Testament says with reference to this word mystery. Now, we'll go on to define that word and the reality of mystery uh, in a moment here, but first I just want to make the point that... uh, uh, I just I just want to say that there's not another mystery that God has uh, other than the one that He has demonstrated and revealed in the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. That mystery must also be revealed in you and I by the Spirit, but, but it is finished and opened up now to anyone who will turn their heart to see goes on to say in chapter 3 that the mystery is not only supposed to be known by us with spiritual understanding, it is supposed to be ongoingly manifested by us, by the church, to the world. So it's a bit disturbing for me to think that we, the church, are supposed to be manifesting the reality of a revealed mystery and yet we're often still teaching that it remains unknown. If it remains unknown, it remains unknown because not because God continues to hide it, but because we have failed to allow the Spirit of God to remove the veil of the of the stoichion, that Greek word we looked at for several weeks, uh, maybe a year or two ago, I can't remember when, the basic principles of the earth first, the old covenant, the old man, the old creation. We have not turned the heart to look beyond the veil, and we'll get to that too, but let me just first prove... Uh, my point that this mystery, though previously veiled in time past, that is in the Old Covenant, is now revealed in Christ. Let's look at a few verses. Um, 
you can jot these down if you want or whatever. I'm just going to read through them. Romans 16.25 Now to Him who is able to establish you according to My Gospel and the proclaiming of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery having been kept unvoiced during eternal times but now has been made plain. 1 Corinthians 2.7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery having been hidden which God predetermined before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of the age had known, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, according as it has been written, eye has not seen, that's natural eye, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it risen up into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But, verse 10, God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. Ephesians 1.9, this is our verse this morning, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. Ephesians 3.3 That by revelation He made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in, in brief, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles. And that word holy, don't, don't put anyone on a pedestal. That just means set apart. Set apart. Holy. Sanctified. Set apart. Holy apostles and prophets. Paul's not giving himself a head trip here, he's just saying he is sent, set apart and sent of God to make known this mystery. Ephesians uh, 3.9 And to bring to light all what is the fellowship of the mystery having been hidden uh, from eternity in God, the one creating all things through Jesus Christ with the intent that now the manifold wisdom, wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.19 Pray also for me that to me may be given speech in the opening of my mouth with boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 1.26 The mystery having been hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now revealed to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2.2 that their hearts may be comforted, being joined together in love and to all riches, to the full assurance of the understanding, to the full knowledge of the mystery of God. Colossians 4.3 Praying together also that God may open to us a door of the Word to speak the mystery of Christ. And, and there are more. But I, I, my, my objective here is not to put you to sleep just reading Scripture to you. Obviously, my, my objective is to prove without question in your heart at least that the mystery of God does not await a future unveiling or a future event. Hopefully these scriptures alone were proof enough that the, the fact is that this mystery was hidden. It was hidden, and we'll speak in a minute about how it was hidden, but it was hidden and has been made plain and can be known and can be experienced. More than that, can be made manifest by those to whom it is revealed. So it can remain a mystery to you and I, but that is only because we have not truly seen and known the one in whom the mystery is made plain. Colossians 2 says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. Well, Christ is in you. And Christ is being revealed in you by His Spirit if we are growing up in Him. So what is the mystery? Well, First question here, what, what is that mystery? Well, if I had to encapsulate it in, in a single verse or in a single sentence, you could use, uh, well, I would just probably say Christ. Christ is the mystery of God. That's, 
that's a little too uh, um, broad, so I'll, I'll break it down a little more. But it's, it's multifaceted only because God's giving of Christ to us accomplishes many things and is experienced in many ways, but there's not many different mysteries. It all speaks of the same things. Uh, if, I, if I was to sum it up, I, you know, the verses we've already looked at in Ephesians chapter 1 would be a nice little summary where, where we've seen that God's eternal predestined plan, that's not predestined people, that's a predestined plan to have a people in His Son, living in that Son, by the life of that Son, before Him, that is, in His face, as a literal translation, accepted, adopted, redeemed in the Beloved, in the Son of His love. That, that might be a good summary of the mystery. Another way you could uh, summarize it would be from Colossians 2. To whom God willed to make known uh, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, which is, and literally there it's, who is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Later on in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and 3, Paul makes reference to this same mystery again and deals deals with it with, with specific reference to how it affects Jew and Gentile becoming one body through death and having one fellowship in the life of the one Son, brought near in that one Son, made one new man. So, what I'm trying to say is that it's multifaceted, but it, it's all the same thing. It's quite simply God dwelling in you in the person of His Son, revealed in you by His Spirit, manifested through you as His body. That's the eternal purpose. That is the mystery of God. If you apply that to the body, well, then you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, that, that, that's not Christ in you, your future hope of one day glory. That's not Christ in you, a ticket to glory. That is Christ in you as the very glory that was testified to, promised, hoped, expected, prophesied, shown in type and shadow, but now realized how? Now realized as Christ in you. Israel's hope of glory, the prophesied hope of glory, the promised hope of glory, the glory spoken to uh, of starting in Abraham all the way through the Old Covenant. All the prophets spoke of the coming glory. Now it's Christ in you, that hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ in you is the glory that God had promised and demonstrated in clouds and pillars and fire and all the ways He manifested and proclaimed His desire to dwell in the midst of a people. Now that hope has been realized. Now that hope is Christ in you. So that, that's if you apply this specific mystery to you as His body. Well, what if you apply the mystery to, to Jew and Gentile? Well, well, the reality of Christ in you breaks down the enmity. We looked at this in Ephesians chapter 2. We jumped ahead when we looked at the word peace from Galatians 1, uh, verse 2. But this reality breaks down the enmity between flesh and between man and God. How? Through His death, by reconciling us unto God, both Jew and Gentile, in one body, sharing one life. My hand reconciled to my foot by sharing one life. What is the peace between my eye and my ear? Is it proximity? No, it is sharing one life. You know? Remember we talked about you can take my eye, put it in a bucket, this is gross, but you can take my eye, put it in a bucket, take my ear, put it in the same bucket, get them really close to each other, and is that fellowship? Is that peace? No, that's just proximity. What if you painted them both blue? Is same color having the same, is that, is that peace? Is that, no. What is, what is, uni, what is the breaking down the, the barrier? It is sharing one life. 
One life in, in both, Jew and Gentile. That's why in Christ there is no Jew, no Gentile. There is not even male nor female, slave nor free, Scythian, barbarian. There is what? Christ all and in all. Peace. So if you apply Christ in you to Jew and Gentile, you've got yourself reconciliation. But it's the same mystery. It's the same story. It's the same reality. It is God Almighty living in a people through death, burial, and resurrection. What if you apply this mystery to the church as a bride? Well, then, this becomes a picture of union. That's Paul's reference to the mystery in Ephesians 5. He talks about the mystery again there. Here we have another picture. Same mystery, but it's a picture, and he brings it back to Adam and Eve. What happens with Adam and Eve? Well, you got one man, one life, whose side was, he was put to sleep, side pierced, out of the one, life was taken, and around that life, a companion was made. She wasn't made, you've heard me say this, she wasn't made out of a pine cone or an aardvark. She was made out of the very life of the one she was taken out of. That's why her name was woman, which means out of man. That's why Adam wakes up and says, scratches his head, looks at her and says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So the mystery is the same thing here. It is a, is it a partner, a companion, a bride who shares the life, that life now in us. The one who truly was put to sleep, side pierced, and out of him came the life in which we live and by which we live. So, But what's my point? My point is, it's not a whole bunch of different mysteries. It's one mystery, Christ in you. It has a whole bunch of different effects. Paul breaks it down in the New Testament in various places. It's not five mysteries in each of these verses. It's one mystery, one mystery that is so colossal in its scope, it takes 2,000 years and thousands of Old Testament pages to create the types and shadows of it. And now we're getting that, that leads us into how it was hidden. How was this mystery hidden? Many of the verses that we just read refer to the mystery having been hidden but now revealed. How, how is it that God hid the mystery? How was it veiled? You could say maybe that it was hidden in his heart, uh, and that's true, you know, before he created the world, but that's not, that's not the reference there to how it was hidden. How was it hidden? The hiding in these verses are referring to the reality that this eternal plan of God was, it was hidden, veiled in the Old Covenant through a multitude of types, shadows, and previews of coming attractions. The book of Hebrews is entirely about that. That's what the entire book we're going through Saturday mornings, the whole book of Hebrews, uh, in, in our uh, study at, at the, the Johnson's house, showing exactly that. He says it over and over and over again. So does Colossians 2. So does Galatians 4. What? Says what? Says explicitly that the old, that what was going on in Old Covenant Israel was a natural copy, a shadow, a type, a preview of that which has come in Christ. The prophets were aware. They were aware that all of this pointed to something. Rather, they were aware that all of it pointed to someone, but they couldn't comprehend it. You know, God has this great judgment in His heart. It's hidden in His heart before He creates the world. Then He creates the world. He has this great judgment. It's in it, it, he knows about it. He's conceived it perfectly. He testifies to it in time past. But He does so in a natural flood. A natural flood and a great destruction of man. He did it by causing one man to enter into an ark. Causing that one man in that ark to be raised up and seated high above death and destruction, set down high above all things. Out of that one comes a new creation under a covenant, in covenant with God. He demonstrates it. It's hidden. 
It's hidden. There in testimony, but the reality was hidden. The fulfillment in Christ, in spirit and truth, could not there be seen. Although in Christ, what now can be seen is that we in Him, dead, buried, raised up, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, raised up and seated with Him in the heavens, in covenant, in a new creation. The reality has now come. God, you know, you could go right on down the list. God had a deliverance in mind. He had a deliverance in His heart from before the foundation of the world. It was there as a reality in His Son, but first He testified to it. How did He testify to it? Well, so many different ways, but let's just take the parting of the Red Sea. Bringing Israel out of sin and death and slavery to it. How? Through death. They walk into the death of the Lamb. They, they walk into that death and they come out of death through death. He does it by opening a door, a door out of death with blood on it. See, it's right there in the testimony, but it's hit, the reality of it is hidden. God has a desire to dwell. He says this so many times, so many countless types and shadows. God has a desire from before the foundation of the world to dwell together with those who would share the life of His Son. He says that way back in the beginning of Exodus, Exodus 4.22, Israel is my Son even my firstborn, now let my son go. We looked at that last week when we looked at the redemption. The redemption of the purchased possession. What a precious reality. But anyway, he had a desire before the foundation of the world to dwell in a people. He testifies to it. Testifies to it in so many different ways. Let's just take the high priest. How does he testify to it in the high priest? He takes a man, tells him to dress up in certain garments that all point to certain things of Christ. And he takes those people... On his breastplate, every tribe, all 12 tribes on the breastplate, all 12 tribes on the shoulder straps of the ephod. What does he do? He prepares a way through death and brings them all with him into the holy place. You have died. Colossians 3.3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the reality, but it was hidden, it was veiled in the testimony. In the testimony. God had a desire to make manifest the reign of His Son in the very soul of His people. Jesus says, My kingdom is not coming with outward signs to be observed. My kingdom is within you. Well, He had a desire to establish that kingdom in a people before He even created the earth. That desire was burning in His heart. And yet, before He accomplishes it in in spirit and truth in Christ, He testifies to it. How does He testify to it? Man, He takes a man named David. A man named David, he raises up a man who had a heart that understood that in this land, in this son, flesh must be cut off. All that are uncircumcised. He understands that by faith. And in this this man demonstrates the circumcision of the heart, the circumcision of heathen nations. He did it by causing Solomon to reign in wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And all the, the glory of that reign, people flocking from other nations to see the glory of Solomon's reign. That's the testimony. But it wasn't an end in itself. It was proclaiming something. It was proclaiming the hidden mystery of God. Hidden before the foundation of the world, testified to in the Old Covenant, made real now in Christ. All of natural creation bears witness of it. All of Old Covenant Israel testified to it. The prophets spoke of it. All of them longed for it. All of them hoped for it. But as to its substance and nature and reality, it was hidden. This is what First Peter is talking about. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. 
as to which salvations the prophets sought out and searched out, prophesying concerning the grace coming to you. Searching for what? Or what manner of time? The Spirit of Christ was testifying within them beforehand of what? The sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. Death, burial, resurrection. A reality. The prophets knew they weren't, they knew they were speaking of something beyond their time. They just didn't know the nature and character and person of it. And yet that suffer, that, that all that they spoke of was Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Hidden in a testimony, now accomplished and unveiled, all gathered up in the very person of Jesus Christ. Now I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but if you look down to the very next verse, verse 9, uh, you're going to see that the unveiling of this mystery has to do with the purpose He purposed in Himself, wherein He would sum up everything, that is, gather together everything, that is, comprehend everything. All of those are, are part of the, the definition of that Greek word. All, uh, he would gather up all things in Christ. And we're not going to get into that until next week. But I'm simply saying now that the kingdom... The priesthood, the deliverance, the judgment, guess where they all come to be reality? Guess where the mystery is revealed? Guess where the mystery comes to have its actual spirit and truth? Jesus looks at the woman at the well and says, Hey, that's, you know, the day is coming and now is. When we're talking not about the shadow in Jerusalem, though salvation does come from the Jews. We're not talking about this mountain or that mountain, that city, this temple. Now we're talking about spirit and truth. So we're beginning to answer our questions hopefully here. What is the mystery? It's Christ in you. Christ in, Do you realize how big of a deal that is? <laughs> you know, sometimes language can become so familiar. First of all, that God even wanted a living tabernacle. That God even wanted to live in human beings. Let me just give you a sneak, sneak, sneak preview of, of, of a verse we're going to get to in, I don't know, probably six years. But it's in Ephesians 2, uh, 21 through 22. What does it say? It says, Ephesians 2, 21 through 22, you can flip there if you want. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in Spirit. In spirit. That's, there's the mystery right there, guys. The eternal, transcendent God living in, finding His permanent resting place in, finding His increase in, finding His expression in the human soul. The human soul. Isaiah 66. I love it. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. So says the Lord of heaven. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. I'm not too impressed with them. Where is the house? I added that part in, but he's still looking for a house. He says, look, I'm sitting on heaven, got my feet propped up on the earth. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the place of my rest? My hand has made all these things. And even all these things that exist, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. Towards this one I will look. He's looking for a home. He's looking for a resting place. I don't mean he's like a lost child in the woods. He's looking for the eternal plan of God to be made manifest in a people. To this one I will look. 
He who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at My Word. Remember we were talking about in John 8 how Jesus says to the Pharisees, here's why you don't understand My speech. Here's why My words don't make any sense to you. There's no room in your heart for My Word. The mystery of God. God finding a house, a temple, a habitation, a sanctuary, a vehicle of expression, a vehicle of increase. Not more Jesuses, but the increase of Christ expressed through a corporate body. You know, if my arm was paralyzed and it just hung here limp and then all of a sudden I had a surgery and it fixed it, it wouldn't be more Jasons, it would just be a greater expression of the one Jason. We are the body of that one. Our purpose is to make manifest the life that is in us. Not our own. Anyway, uh, the mystery of God has to do with God finding His house, His expression, His increase in the human soul. This is what was hidden in His heart. This is what was testified to in the old creation. And I could, and I don't want to, I don't want to put you to sleep, but the, the, the number of verses that God's, where He says, I took you out of Egypt that I might have a people to dwell in the midst of, or, or things like that, that the old covenant is replete. It's just full of that kind of thing. I want you to establish this testimony of my salvation so that I can dwell. Now, that was in type and shadow. He didn't actually live in the people. He lived among them. He dwelled in the midst of them in His temple, but we become that temple. So anyway, how was the mystery veiled? It was veiled through a multitude of types and shadows and hints and previews. Uh, all the stories which Paul says, you know, whether we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Hagar and, and, uh, and Sarah, and the picture there, and all, whatever types and shadows you want. Hebrews uh, 1 1, through in, in various uh, ways and in, at various times and in various ways of old, God spoke uh, to our fathers, but now He speaks in Son. At the end of these days, He has spoken in Son. So, when did the mystery come into reality? In other words, when did God pull the veil off the mystery? When did God pull the veil off? Well, we all know. You all know when God rent the veil. He rent the veil in the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. Isn't that where the veil between the first and the second came down? Isn't that where the testimony became the witness and the, and the shadow became the substance and the prophecy became the fulfillment and the promise became yes and amen? Isn't that what Paul says in Corinthians? That it all became yes and amen in Christ? That the law became spirit? That people were gathered up into this eternal Son? Isn't that where everything of promise turned into but now in Christ? Isn't that everything of expectation and hope became Christ in you? Isn't that where the entire New Testament... The whole New Testament is taken up with proof after proof, demonstration after demonstration of how Christ is and has finished everything that was part of the testimony. All of these verses have, have plainly said, all the verses that we read before have plainly said that the mystery that was formerly hidden has now been revealed and is now to be made manifest by His church. Okay, we're uh, probably running out of time. I'd, I'd like to just uh, conclude a little bit here with the last question, and, uh, and, and that is how this works in the believer, how this works in you and I. As always, there is the finished work of God in Christ wherein the veil has been rent, wherein the heavens have been opened. What he told, tells Nathaniel that he will see, you will see the heavens open. You will see me become the ladder that Jacob saw in Genesis. 
I will become that ladder. You'll see it. It's not a vision he had. It's the cross. It's what he saw. The heavens opened and the ladder out of one realm into another. Well, he saw that. A finished work. There is the finished work of God which stands... You know, there is an open door with blood on it for whosoever shall come. And yet, all that God has objectively accomplished must be subjectively revealed, realized, and known for you and I to walk in the good of it, to bear the image of it, to make it manifest in the earth. That's a fact. I won't go through all the Scriptures that prove that. We're going to get to that. We've done that before, but we'll get to that also when Paul is praying in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 that God give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in that very reality. But in other words, though the Lord has rent the veil, the veil can still remain on our hearts if Christ our life has not been revealed in us. Galatians 1.16, Christ revealed in you. We can still read the Old Testament and see nothing but types and shadows, not understanding the types and shadows in fact, and seeing nothing of the hidden mystery which has its fulfillment and reality in the person of Christ. And it's in that that imaginations abound. Wherever you have not seen the truth as it is in Christ by His Spirit, man invents this ugly, disgusting thing called Christian religion. And this is exactly what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is all about. I'd like to read, uh, I'd like to read the whole chapter actually, uh, but uh, we, we, that would be fun. Uh, but because of time, I'm just going to summarize briefly the first 13 verses and then we'll pick up in, in, in verse 14. And we'll just read. Uh, the first 13 verses have to do with the contrast between the glory of the first covenant and the glory of the new covenant. The glory, glory of course, is the manifestation, expression, demonstration, exhibition of God. Everything that says, behold the glory of God, there you are seeing something of God made manifest. Well, there was glory in the first covenant It was glory that did express something of God, but only in natural things, only in temporal, temporary, temporal passing ways. God shook a mountain. Guess what? That mountain's not shaking right now. God parted a sea. That sea is not parted right now. God created a tabernacle. That tabernacle was destroyed, etc. There was glory in that covenant. There was manifestation of Christ. There was demonstration, exhibition of salvation. It was exhibited by God. Glory was seen. God was, there was glory seen in the, in the, in the victory in Canaan. Uh, not by might, not by, by power, but by my spirit. Something of God's salvation seen there. But, that glory, uh, does not compare. In fact, it says in one place, in one of those first verses, maybe verse 10, it says that compared to the glory that we've come to in Christ, that glory is not even glory at all. That was natural, material, and passing. It doesn't compare with the glory that we have as Christ in us. The former glory, which it says in that whole section, it talks about how it was passing, it was temporary. It was, it has, compared to the glory we've come to, it is nothing at all. That's what brings you up to um, uh, verse uh, 14. And I'm just going to start reading there. But their minds were blinded, For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, 
When Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is the heart, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'm not going to get into what... I'd love to talk about that, because that just gives us, you know, charismatics a reason to dance, but it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the liberty of the Old Covenant, into the li- coming from the, from the shadows into the liberty of the Spirit. Jeff, however, has taken it a different way and is dancing in the back row. Uh, anyway, but we all with... Un- here, verse 18, this is, this is where we're getting to my point. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, there's, goodness, there's so much I would love to talk about. I quote these verses now only to show that, that God, that what God has taken away, the mystery, the veil of type and shadow, that that veil can still remain on the heart. Paul's saying that here. He's saying, look guys, the, glory, the greater glory has come. And yet, to this day, he says, some, some still have that veil upon their heart when the Old Testament is read. Is read. God, God has fulfilled that testimony in His Son. It's revealed in Christ. It's unveiled. It's come to be reality in Christ. The, the, the mystery is unveiled. And yet, still there are hearts who have not seen beyond this veil. There are hearts that have not seen the mystery unveiled in Christ. Why? Because it's taken away in Christ. He's not just, you know, I know specifically Paul is making reference to Jews who have not come to Christ here, but that same veil remains on the natural mind whether you're a Christian or a Jew. It's a veil that must have the realities testified to revealed in the person of Christ. It works... It works with anyone that has an old covenant mindset. That veil is working with anyone who has come out of the old covenant, but the old covenant has not come out of them. And what happens? Well, you go back and you read the old covenant and all you see is stories about things you don't understand. Why in God's name would He kill all those people? What in the world is this all about? You know? You just told Moses to go set the Israelites free. He takes three steps to do it, and you're there about to kill him. And then his 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 wife cuts off the foreskin of his son and throws it at your feet. Boy, that's a weird story, God. Well, you know what? One day that story erupted in my heart as such an amazing picture of salvation, and I won't get into that. It's just a bizarre story, though, until you see it fulfilled in Christ trying to step out outside of circumcision and do the will of God apart from the flesh being removed, apart from blood being applied. I mean, you cannot do it. You cannot do one thing of God apart from, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not going to go and comment on that Scripture. It just, I just remember for years looking at that Scripture going, that is the most bizarre thing that has ever been written down. And, and yet, it, it comes to have fullness and meaning and reality in the person revealed beyond the veil in the person of Jesus Christ. Anyway, my point is simply this. You can, though God has rent His veil, you can have a veil remaining on your heart. A veil that's, that, that keeps you from seeing what? A veil that keeps you from seeing the substance because you can only see the, the, the shadow. And though it was taken away suddenly and completely by God through His finished work, Paul tells us here that it is not taken away suddenly and completely from the human heart. How is it taken away from the human heart? How are we being changed from the former glory to the, 
to the now glory, if you let me make up a word, the now glory in Christ. How is it that that's working? Here's the key, verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, are beholding as in a mirror, a true, in a mirror, the true seeing of ourselves, a true seeing of the one who is our life. It's not a natural mirror. It's the true reality of what the finished work has made us. We are seeing, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're looking into this mirror. We're seeing that it's not I but Christ that lives in me. I don't mean we're believing words on a page. I mean the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. The Spirit of God is revealing the things that have been freely given to you by God. I'm talking about Jesus, John 14 through 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. How is He going to do that? He's going to take what is mine and reveal it to you as yours. That's what I'm talking about. So you're looking in the mirror, you're seeing what, you're seeing Christ in us, the, the, the expected glory of God. You're seeing the glory of the living God. You're seeing a true view of, of your salvation. You're seeing it by the, by the eyes of God. You're seeing it by faith, the mind of the Lord. Paul, Paul is about to see in Ephesians, about to say in Ephesians 1:17 uh, through 19, God is giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of God. Well, what's happening? What's the product? What's the end result? We are being transformed. How? We're being transformed because the mystery that has been unveiled in Christ by God is now being removed from my darkened, carnal understanding. It's now being take off, taken off of my blinded carnal mind. Romans 8, chapter six and, verse 6 and 7. The carnal mind is death. The mind of the Spirit is life and peace. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Uh, the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to Him. It must be revealed. So what's happening? Well, well it says we're being changed. We're, we're being changed through, as Paul says, one of the verses we read in the beginning, through the revelation of the mystery. We're being transformed as God reveals. I just quoted this verse. Reveals the things that have been freely given. Transformed as God reveals the things which eye cannot see, ear cannot hear, nor have they entered the natural mind of man, but God has revealed. But God is revealing. We're beholding, this verse says, verse 18, we're beholding, we're seeing. Seeing what? Seeing the mystery of His will accomplished in Christ. We're seeing beyond the veil. Which is what Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 is about. And we won't get into that. But what's happening, what's happening in me? Ephesians 3, 9. Here's what's happening in me. God is bringing to light what is the mystery having been hidden from eternity in God. What's happening to me? You go to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6. Light is dawning in my heart. God who said light will shine out of darkness is now shining in my heart to give me the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Where is that happening? That's happening in your heart. That's happening in you. We're seeing beyond the veil. Colossians 2.2 2, I'm attaining to the full assurance of understanding the full knowledge of the mystery of God. We're beholding more and more with an unveiled face the mystery of God revealed in Christ. And what's happening in me? Well, you begin to bear. That's what it's saying. You are changed. You are changed from into that image. Verse 18, you're changed. In, you begin to bear the image. The truth as it is in Christ begins to become the truth that, that actually works in your soul. Not the imitation of Christ. No, the impartation of Christ and the manifestation of Christ. 
begins to transform your very soul, not, not, not into a copy of his behavior, but into the actual transformation of nature. Yeah, like, like the life becomes like that uh, signet ring pressed into the wax. Your soul bears his image as, as it beholds the glory of God. It, it transforms you from what to what? From glory of the old to the glory of the new. You begin to bear in yourself His image. You are conformed to His likeness. Not an improved Jason, but the image of the, of the living Christ, my life, starting to be formed in me. Galatians 4.19 The image of Christ in me, the promised glory of God. We are changed from glory to glory. So, anyway, that is the mystery. The mystery hidden in God, testified to in the Old Covenant, finished, unveiled in Christ, revealed in you and I as the heart turns to the Lord, manifest and expressed to the world through His body, which is His fullness, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That is the purpose of His body, is to make manifest the mystery that He has accomplished in His Son. Amen. We'll stop there.